The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. So if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 16 tonight. So we are continuing this week in our series, it's called Fruit of the Spirit, and we are studying the traits listed in Galatians 5 that mark a spirit-filled Christian life. Now last week, we looked at love and the fact that it is listed first because it is in many ways an all-encompassing summary of the rest of the fruit of the Spirit that are listed. And we talked about the importance of letting God, who is the very source of all love, define for us what love actually is and what love actually looks like when it is lived out. The next fruit of the Spirit, uh, listed in Galatians 5, we'll see as we read here, is joy. And uh, my daughter Lucy, uh, she turns eight in a month and a half on November 22nd, and uh, because joy is such a profound and really a prominent topic in God's Word. It's very important. When Lucy was born, I really wanted to name her Joy. And uh, However, Natalie and I had an agreement that if we couldn't agree on a name, that uh, she would basically have the final vote on a girl's name, and I would get the final vote on a boy's name. And so Natalie outvoted me on naming her Joy. Uh, but as is often the case when it comes down to a vote between her and I, she was right. And uh, Lucy means light, and it is definitely a perfect name for my little princess. So thankful that she won that one. Uh, The fact that I had the final vote on the boy name is why my son's name is Maximus. So glory to God on that, right? Um, I brought that all up just to say and and try to... I wanted to name my daughter Joy because it's such a big deal. So just to tell you that it is of the utmost importance for followers of Jesus, that we understand what joy is, how we walk in it, and why it matters. Why is it so prolific and profound throughout the scriptures? So let's read together uh, Galatians 5. I told you we're going to start in verse 16. We'll go down to verse 24 together. Okay? I hope you're there. Here we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Praise God for his word. So to understand the true nature of the joy spoken of here and elsewhere in the Bible, we need to think a minute about how joy is being described here. Joy is listed here among the fruits of the Spirit. And this is really interesting language, and, and it's, it's purposeful. So let's look at it. The, the fruit of the Spirit are not ideal moral characteristics that Christians should strive to exhibit in their lives, okay? This list of the fruit of the Spirit is not a, it's not a list of personality traits for you to try to make happen in your life on your own. The fruit of the Spirit are just that. They are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of moral striving or behavior modification. The Bible teaches that as a result of Jesus' perfect life, substitutionary death, and triumphant resurrection, We are able to be made righteous before God and reconciled to God by grace through faith. Now, we can't be perfectly righteous, but we can believe that Jesus is. And 
By believing in him, we get to share in his righteousness. This righteousness that we gain by grace through faith allows for us to be restored in right relationship with our perfect and holy God. And this means the Holy Spirit of God can literally dwell in us in the same way that God's presence did in the tabernacle and in the temple. Let me read you this in case that idea seems a bit strange to you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is not the only place. Uh, In Romans and elsewhere, we have this descriptive language talking about the Spirit of God literally dwelling in us. We've said many times before that it would have been amazing to walk with the disciples on the three-year camping trip with Jesus, to have Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. But God's intention was to take it a step further. With the tabernacle and the temple, he was foreshadowing this ultimate redemptive plan where full reconciliation was going to happen because righteousness was going to be restored by grace through faith. And it wasn't just going to be God near us or with us, but God in us, that we were going to be able to be joined together in union with God, indwelt by his spirit. This is God's desire. And this is why we can have these scriptures that talk about these spiritual attributes, these characteristics of God being alive and being vibrantly manifest in the life of a believer. So joy, along with the other fruit of the Spirit listed here, are the visible and tangible outworkings of God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And this is good news because as we're examining the depth and beauty of these characteristics over the next several weeks, and we find ourselves far from walking in them perfectly, I get real nervous around patience when we're going through the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know about you. Uh, Sometimes not kindness and goodness either. Um, But when we find ourselves far from walking in these things perfectly, it pushes us to prayer and asking for God's help instead of trying to do it on our own, failing and then being frustrated. So understanding what's happening here, this isn't just a list of things for you to work on, but this is a list of of the, the, the manifestation in the life of the believer of the reality that we are indwelt by God's Spirit because of Christ. That kind of changes the dynamic. Now, there's going to be some overlap with all of these fruit of the Spirit as we work through this series to change our thinking about what they are, the fruit, and how they operate, okay? And part of why that's an issue is because we have emotional equivalence to most of these, right? Last week, we talked about uh, the fact that love is misunderstood by many to be just an emotion and how that falls far short of the reality that it is a divine attribute shared with us because we are made in the image of God. We are being conformed again into the image of Christ. And so love is a divine attribute, a part of the very character and nature of God the creator. And he shares that with us. Joy is the same. Peace is the same. These are the fruit of the Spirit. So it matters that we make a distinction between some of what these fruit of the Spirit, the emotional equivalent that we associate them with and what it means that this is a part of the very character and nature of God shared with his people, poured into his people, expected to then be manifest in his people. And and this is true of every one of these fruit. The Holy Spirit who dwells in those who have surrendered to Jesus and received his salvation, that Holy Spirit is God. Let, Let me just say that again. The Holy Spirit is God. And so these fruit of the Spirit are attributes of God that we can share in. Now, Satan in our sinful flesh will always contribute to the internal conflict we experience as we're walking out the process of sanctification. We are being conformed into the image of Christ, according to Romans 8, but we are not perfected yet. And so there will be a struggle, as is described in Galatians 5.17, we just read that earlier, it says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul in Romans 7 gives a similar description uh, and kind of vents about his own internal struggle, this spirit versus the flesh. 
Now, I want to say something, because I'm making a distinction here between emotional equivalence that we might associate with the words given here as the fruit of the Spirit and the reality of what's being taught here. But I want to make sure I, I say something, and we're careful about it, okay? Happiness or emotions that are associated with elation, th- those are not a bad thing, okay? They are a good thing, and they are another gift from God. Uh, it's another way that we can uh, enjoy Uh, his creation, and even a reflection of him. However, we must understand that there is a joy of the Lord and in the Lord that is more stable and more crucial than the ups and the downs of emotions. Joy is an unchanging part of who God is, and he wants that to be the same for us. Please hold your applause and excitement until closer to the end, okay? Are you tracking with me on this? This is important. God is joyful. He expects his people to be joyful, not because it's a burden he lays upon them, not because it's some law he gives them, but because he has given us him. He has indwelt us, and and part of what we do now is in walking in this earth, we are reflecting the goodness and the beauty of God and all of his attributes, to one another within the household of faith, but also to a world that is lost and broken, fumbling in darkness, looking for hope and for truth. Joy is one of the ways God has done that and is doing that through us. Although joy is part of God's nature shared with us, the language of fruit lets us know it can either be watered, cultivated, and encouraged to grow, this fruit of joy, or it can be neglected and untended. We can't produce real joy ourselves, not what's being talked about here. We can't just white-knuckle make it happen, but we can water and cultivate what God has planted within us. And so hopefully your next question is, how do we cultivate the fruit of joy in our lives and hearts as followers of Jesus? How do we do that? Well, the first thing I'll give you is that we should stay close to Jesus. We should stay close to Jesus. I'm going to read you John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus says here, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Interesting. First of all, here we see a declaration that Jesus has this joy, that not only is he acknowledging as a reality of of the character of God, right? Because Hebrews and elsewhere and Colossians, we see that Jesus is the expressed image of the invisible God, that we can't see the creator God, that he has not revealed himself in that way, but, but he sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we didn't die in our place for our sins and rise from the grave. And a part of what he did is give us a reflection, give us an image into what God thinks and what he's like. And, and here Jesus talks about this joy that he has, my joy. And then he talks about your joy being made full. And what is the whole context of that set of scriptures? He's encouraging us to see that the crucial nature of 
proximity to Jesus, and not, not even just in a let me see how close I can stand to him way, but in an acknowledgement that we are grafted in and connected in the same way that this fruit language is talking about in Galatians, in the same way that we understand from 1 Corinthians that, that the very Spirit of God now dwells in us, and we are the New Testament temple of God's Spirit, that it is vitally important that we are connected to Jesus, not just close enough that Somebody that might hassle me about it can't tell I'm not close, right? But talking about a real vibrant connection to the degree that we understand that Jesus is the vine. How does this work? If we're the branches and he's the vine, he's the one that goes down into the soil, drawing up that life source and then disperses it to the branches. Any branch removed from the vine is what? It's dead. It's dead. And it ain't having any joy, that's for sure. And so Jesus ties proximity to him, closeness to him, receiving life from him to joy. He said, I said all of that about you staying close to me, making that a priority, assessing it, letting others in your life assess it. Always be asking the question, where do I stand in proximity to my master? Am I in connected relational community with not only Jesus, but also his people? You see, here's part of the, the issue there, that the solo Lone Ranger Christian thing doesn't work because if Jesus' analogy here is true, and I assume it is because of who's speaking, then if, if you've got a vine attached to branches, what else are the branches attached to? That's right, the other branches. We're all connected to Christ. We're all receiving from his life. We're receiving uh, hope and, and encouragement and the very just life of the Spirit that keeps us going forward on this mission that he's given us. And so not only are we connected to him, but we're connected to one another. And he says these things, all this stuff about being connected, all this stuff about seeing yourself as a branch that disconnected from the master is dead, that apart from him you can do nothing. I told you all that, Jesus says. Here's why. I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Right? This is not just... Joy is not just something that God throws at us. It's something he shares of himself with us. He said, my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. Jesus wants to share his joy with us. He wants us to walk in the joy that he and the Father shared, that are part of their very essential nature. This is more than an emotion. This is more than a fleeting uh, mood-based, circumstance-based, situation-based manifestation. This is, this is deeper than that. Verse 11 also shows us something very important that, that I think we should just settle. God does want you to have joy. Some people, I think, may not be sure about that. God does want you to have joy. When? All the time. Does Jesus ever want you to disconnect from him? and become a branch out here that's getting burned, that doesn't seem to be what he's teaching here. He's saying, stay connected. And why did he say to do that? Stay close to me. I want my joy in you, and I want your joy to be full. And this is not just in this life, but for eternity, okay? So why do I stick on that point? Well, I think there's some confusion sometimes, because there are many people that will say, I believe God wants me to be happy. And I think that throws some mud in this crystal clear water that Jesus is serving here at, the, at this juncture of John 15. John 15, Jesus leaves no question. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God wants his people full of joy. Period. However, when you sometimes see how that ideology of, well, I think God wants me to be happy gets used, it could cause you to be confused about God's motivation on it. Because a lot of times what people will do when, they say, when they're saying, well, I think God wants me to be happy, a lot of times what they're actually saying is I believe that God's thoughts are just like my thoughts. And whatever I think will make me happy, God should grant me like Aladdin's genie. Right? That I, I've had people say to me, well, I'm, I'm miserable in my marriage, and don't you think God wants me to be happy? Shouldn't I just divorce my spouse? No, 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 you're, you're missing the point here. God does want you to have joy, but this is joy on his terms. This is joy based on his wisdom, not your own. This is joy based on eternal things that do not change. This is not fleeting happiness or your own estimation of what would make you feel better in the moment. 
God does not want you many times to do the thing that you foolishly think would make you happy, but will actually lead you towards utter destruction. That's for sure. But he does want you to have joy. Unchanging. Stable. Beautiful joy. I asked Jesus to help me put this into some type of analogy, and of course all analogies break down, but I I truly believe this is helpful and of the Spirit. So sometimes I I treat you guys like uh, my son's preschool class, and and I ask you to play Imagine with me, but I need you to just use your imagination for a second, because I think if you do, it'll help. So I, I want you guys to imagine that that you're on a plane, you know, who, who, who's, anybody in here ever been to Hawaii? Let me see your hand. Hawaii. Okay, well, now we'll try not to be jealous, the rest of us. So those of you that are, haven't been to Hawaii, you're going to have to use your imagination real good, okay? Those of you that have, just remember. Uh, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're flying somewhere, man. We're going to some, you know, Pacific Island. It's going to be great. You know, a couple engines stall, plane goes down, okay? We land on some small deserted island, but it just happens to be an island that is full of venomous snakes, or if that doesn't really bother you, make it spiders, whatever freaks you out, okay? I want you to not be here. That's where I want you in your mind, okay? So whatever would be on that island that would really mess you up, do that. For me, it's venomous snakes. I'm not really, like, scared of snakes. You know, if I got something, I'll go at a snake. I'm not running. I'm not screaming, but I don't like them. I'm not, like, wanting to hang out. I want to go to the zoo and play. Let's hold. No, 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 no. We're not doing that, okay? So... But So for me, the island's full of venomous snakes. This is a dangerous place. Stay here long, you're dead, okay? This is full of danger. Very bad, okay? And so you're, you know, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. You got no chance, okay? You go to sleep. You wake up the next morning. Right here in the little atoll where you're at on the beach, you've got two uh, options. There, there's a, there's a, a dark-hooded figure standing here with a rowboat, a single-person rowboat, and you could, that's there, and then you got a battleship that is anchored, and you got somebody that looks a little less nefarious than that guy standing over here, okay? And you're presented with two rescue options. Rescue option one by shadowy figure over here is you can have this rowboat. This rowboat's yours. You can jump in this thing. You can direct it. Master your own destiny. Jump in the rowboat. It's yours. Save yourself. Now remember, you're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You don't assumedly know much about ocean navigation because you live in Ohio. Um, <laughs> and that's a long time, right? Uh, no matter where we're at out there, getting somewhere where you're actually going to help is a long time. So you, you could take that gamble. Or the, repre- the representative from the battleship says, here's the deal. Uh, we found you, but this is what we do. We go from deserted island to deserted island, We're looking for people that are in bad situations, dangerous situations that are lost and would die without our help. This is what we do. You can get on this boat, but what you know, you don't. You're not going to run this boat. We have a captain, and we're on a mission. And basically, your passage to get on this boat is that you're going to come on this boat and help us continue to do this. We're going to go to the next island and see who we can help. But you're going to help us do that. Here's my question: You can jump in the rowboat, do your own thing, or you can jump on the battleship and you can go on the mission. Which one are you picking? You know the right answer. Most of you are pretty smart, but I want you to really search your heart for a second about which one you're picking. Think about life choices you've made. Think about which direction you've juked and jived in the past. Are you more of a rowboat person, if you're being real honest? I don't know. i got a pretty strong back and a good sense of direction. You know what? Give me that rowboat, shadowy figure. I told you all analogies break down, and sometimes they're silly, but really, we've all been in that situation. We've all been lost in a real dangerous spot. It's called being apart from Christ. And sometimes what, we, what we're foolish enough to do is think that, well, I can solve this. I can, I can be the master of my own destiny, and I can find happiness myself. Just give me that rowboat. What we don't know is that when we jump in that rowboat, what we didn't see is that it's got one of those iron rings in the floor and, and some chains, and, and you end up chained to that thing. And you end up floating out, dehydrated and all jacked up out on the ocean for a long time. Every time we go that way, it takes longer than we thought. It costs us more than we thought. It's never the right option. 
There is a battleship, and it's got a captain. His name is Jesus. It's on a mission. And you can be on it. And that's where joy is found. It's, it's not over there by yourself. Some of you need to get the Carrie Underwood anointing and let Jesus take the wheel, man. That's your problem. Is that real? No. That was a joke, just to make sure it's on the audio before it goes on the internet, okay? <laughs> I don't need... Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't need the Gospel Coalition writing an article about me. All right, here we go. They're right, by the way, about the one they just wrote, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, here's the point of all that. God wants you to have something far better than whatever temporary happiness you can scrape together on your own. He wants you to have deep and abiding joy, and they're different. You can scrape together little, little scraps of temporal happiness, little bits of relief from the dark oppression of sin that you commit, sin committed against you, and the overall brokenness of the world. You can find little spots of respite, but you'll, you'll miss the deep and abiding, beautiful joy of God. Not only the, the freedom that it provides for you, but what it provides in terms of your ability to join in helping others to find it. So the first thing we talked about is that you need to stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. We've said that God does want you to have joy. Uh, and that God wants me to be happy is, is utter insanity when it comes to what that what, what really means when somebody says it. If what they're saying is, I'm going to disobey what God has revealed to be true and good in his word because I think that's what would make me happy temporarily. You are running from the deep, abiding, stable, eternal joy provided by obedience to God, provided by being where and when, doing what he has asked you to do, and you're choosing for yourself a path of destruction. And we need to just be humble enough to say, I don't know what's good for me all the time. Sometimes I am foolish, and I would think that this course of action would make me happy. But actually... It would lead to more pain than even I'm experiencing right now. It would lead to more pain than the pain I'm trying to jump out of. Joy is the better way. Joy is God's way. The second thing I'm going to give you is that we need to see the joy of the Lord as our strength. The joy of the Lord as our strength. I'm going to read you Nehemiah. This is chapter 8, 1 through 10. Now, before I read this, this will sound familiar. Uh, I've read it several times this year, and partially that's because I'm still praying for revival in God's church that is fashioned uh, something like this. I'm not putting any parameters on what God does or how he does it. I just know that if real spirit-filled revival happens in God's church, uh, some of the things that are happening here will uh, accompany it. And so if, if you want to be praying with me and asking God uh, to move among his people, uh, just look at some of what's happening here, and you'll, you'll know what my prayers are, okay? This is Nehemiah 8, 1 through 10. Uh, basically, quick backstory: uh, people have come back to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the walls from exile. So they've been exiled. They've been punished for their rebellion. They're coming back to Jerusalem, and uh, Ezra is basically reading the law, okay? Verse 1, Nehemiah 8, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. That's the first thing I know as revival happens in God's churches. People are really excited about the things of God and are willing to cast off uh, the foolishness that so oftentimes we get uh, distracted with. What we see here is from morning to midday, that's four, maybe six hours, it says everyone was standing there listening to the law of God be read. And what did it say? They were attentive. The word of God was just being read and these people were soaking it up. They were hungry and desperate to hear 
from God. Nobody twisted their arm. They didn't have to stop and pump the fog machines full of juice to get everyone back in. There wasn't an intermission. Hours, the word of God being read. Well, it's a different time. You can believe that if you want to. We just have more distractions. This was a work of the Spirit of God in this time and place. There's no reason it had to be any different now. At the bare minimum, we should be praying that God would, would stir this kind of hunger in us for His Word, the things of Him, as opposed to the things that would oftentimes satisfy our appetite. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattahiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masseh on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashum, Hashbadana. That's a good one. Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and he opened it. All the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masai, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What do we see here? Again, first of all, absolutely no question. God does want you to have joy, right? Now, sometimes the right response to God's word and, and to conviction is to weep. That's, that's a perfectly, you know, some people think you only know if the Holy Ghost is, is moving among a group of people, if everybody's getting buck wild and, and, and tambourines are out and somebody's back flipping, you know, they th- it's, it's always only exuberance. Man, sometimes when God moves uh, in a place among a people, it, there, there, there are no dry eyes. There is deep conviction and, and brokenness over sin, you know. Sometimes it's celebratory. Sometimes God brings us low for the sake of bringing us closer to him. Uh, we, we don't want to limit what the Lord does, but, but we know that in this moment, what the people were told is, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so again, we see that God has joy and he wants to share it with his people. This is not some auxiliary thing he gives to us. It's a part of his very essence and nature shared with us. And this matters. It changes the way we see it. The joy of the Lord is a stabilizing and it's an unchanging force. It is a deep inner strength that is unmoved by the situations and circumstances of life, no matter how grave or difficult or overwhelming they may be. It can be very difficult to differentiate between emotions like happiness and the joy of God. One of the key features to the joy of the Lord is its stability and its source. The joy of the Lord can actually be, for us, immovable and unshakable. It can't be taken. It can't be moved. And part of how that happens is when the things that we are rejoicing in are immovable and unshakable. That's part of our issue. Is much, time, much of the time we think that happiness and joy are synonymous. They're the same thing. That's what's being talked about throughout God's Word. We don't understand that we do have emotions that come along with elation and happiness and all of that, but that's not what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about joy, man. You can be busted and broken and crying like David did to the point where he's saying his bed was floating around his room, right? A little bit of poetic hyperbole, but lots of tears, man. You can be in a very difficult place, emotionally broken, and have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord be untouched, unshaken in all of that. These are different. They stand apart. Joy is a divine attribute shared from God with his people. But part of how 
the stability that that that, that str- what did he say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. How does joy provide strength? There doesn't seem like much connective tissue there. Why is that the statement? Well, the truth is it's it's easy to be happy when life is good, right? When the weather is nice, our relationships are healthy, the bills are paid, our bodies are healthy. But when these factors are not to our liking, our sense of happiness can be affected. And let me say this so that I'm being clear. God doesn't expect you to be happy, emotionally elated, about broken, painful things in your life. It is healthy and right to grieve over the brokenness that sin causes. Not only your own sin, but sin committed against you and the sin of the world broadly. It is right to grieve over the brokenness of sin. If that wasn't the case, then why did Jesus stand on the mountain weeping over Jerusalem and their hard hearts? Why are we commanded to mourn with those who mourn, okay? Having the joy of the Lord does not mean you have a perma-smile and you're really good at faking it. That's not the joy of the Lord, It is deeper than that. It's a shared attribute with God the creator. An unmovable inner strength and a force that does not, it doesn't doesn't cower back. It doesn't move and it's not shaken when difficulty and even when tragedy befalls us. Even in grief like that, God does want us to have joy. He wants us to have a joy that is unaffected by any of those factors which are subject to change. And you might be saying, okay, I'm hearing all that. I get that. But what, so how do I do that? How do I put joy, how is, how is my joy focused upon and rooted in and sourced from things that are not shakable? Because life's changing all the time. Because there's difficult stuff all the time. Every day seems like a a new dookie storm, right? Sometimes, can we be honest? There's just new crazy stuff. Woo! Right? It's, it's, it's like an, it's a never-ending carnival of the opposite of fun. So how do I, how do I, how do I grab hold of these anchor points, this, this strength and this joy? What, how do I do that? How do I cultivate what you're saying to me? I hope you're asking. I hope you're thinking through that. Here's, here's the answer. We rejoice in the same unchanging things that God rejoices in. God has this deep abiding joy that never changes. How does he have that? He's aware of more brokenness than you and I could ever possibly begin to compute with the three pound piece of meat between our ears. He is aware of every broken heart, every tragedy, every vile result of the fact that the world is sinful and broken. How does God with all of that knowledge, of all of that brokenness, have a joy that never, ever fades? How does he have this strength and this stability of joy? I'm going to read you Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want to to ask you a question. It said, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What does that mean? What was the joy set before him? It was us. Dear friends, it was what he knew to be true. Why do I know that? For the joy... The joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross because of the joy set before him. He endured the, the, the vile, the beating and the, and the disrespect of sinners that he created. He went through all that. He endured the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. It was what he saw on the other side. It's this eternal plan that God has, and it includes us. Jesus 
was rejoicing in, the joy set before him was the fact that if he endured the cross, if he obeyed God, if he, if he walked through that process, that salvation would be the result, that then there would be sanctification for his people, and that the promise of eternal glorification would be ours. Friends, we need to rejoice in our salvation. Things that do not change. I know you have bad days. I know you have days where uh, it's probably right for you to wonder if you're saved, right? Sometimes your attitude is terrible, I will admit, okay? Not me. Okay, (laughs) you should take that up with the Lord later, whatever you want to do. But here's what we need to understand. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus is not fickle about his promises. He did not go to the cross for some half grace dependent upon your performance. The Bible says very clearly that the work he's begun in you, he's going to stay on it and stay with it. He's with you. He's not going to abandon you. We need to find joy in the fact that salvation, that if, if you are saved, having joy in that salvation, the unchanging promise that if If we endure until the end, that Christ is with us, that he will provide what is needed for us to be with him eternally, that every single sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven, and that grace is available to us. If we can't have continual and daily joy in that, right? If we don't understand, how are we thinking about how often are we letting our minds go to the reality of how much forgiveness has been poured out upon us? Are we rejoicing in the fact that there is an ever-flowing fount and it is tinted blood red by which our forgiveness is showered upon us, that grace and mercy is new each morning? Woo, you want to talk about joy? You want to talk about grabbing a hold of something eternal? I had a bad day, but I'm saved. Thank you, Jesus. I have joy and you're not taking that from me. I'm saved and it's by grace through faith, not of my own works so that I would not boast. Hallelujah. Not only do we rejoice rejoice in our own salvation, dear friend, Jesus, he wasn't rejoicing and he wasn't saving himself by going to the cross. He was already perfect. He was rejoicing in the salvation of others. Dear friends, do you look around at God's work in the life of others? Not only the, the justifying, salvific work of plucking them out of darkness and bringing them into light, but the, continue, the continued work of sanctification. Do you let your joy be built and stirred and anchored in the reality of seeing God's hand at work in the lives of other people? Do you even look at your own process? Or sometimes the problem is that growth in God and maturity in the spirit, this race that Paul calls the Christian life, sometimes the progression, sometimes the growth is so slow that we don't stop, we don't have eyes to see it. And, and sometimes it would help us if we were in community because then other people could, could be helping us see it, but that's a whole other issue that I don't want to get into. But it's, it's almost like if you, if you start a weight loss plan or something, uh, you, you, if you go look in the mirror every day, you know, you, you eat your celery from the day before or whatever it is, right, whatever your plan is, and, and you wake up and you run into the mirror. Every day you're going to be super disappointed, right? Because I don't care how many celery stalks you ate or how many donuts you didn't eat, it takes a minute, right? It's, it's a process. But if you took a picture, I know you all know how to take selfies. If you took a picture, <laughs> did he? Yeah. Uh, if you took a picture day one and then take another picture day 30, you, you can see it, right? Because there's a time lapse there. You, it, but daily, man, it might be hard. And I think sometimes we get discouraged. We don't see the little bits of God's faithfulness as he's drawing us along this path of being conformed to his image, as he's carving away from us those things that are not to our benefit nor for his glory. And, and sometimes we, 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 we don't, our joy is not built up in those things because we're not even noticing and, and sometimes we're hypercritical of others, so we're not noticing God's work in their life. Sometimes we're feeling insecure because we're not seeing our own growth, and so we pick at other people so as not to feel so bad about ourselves, and all of that robs joy. But if we would throw all that junk away, and we would realize that be, just sometimes you might have to take it on faith, man. Sometimes you might trip and fall in your race. Sometimes there might be a month where there is no change, and you just as nasty at the end of the month as you started the month. That's possible. But here's the reality. That's when you cling to God's promise. Because he said, it doesn't matter if you had a month that bad. I'm not giving up on you. I'm finishing what I started in you. And we rejoice in that. 
And our joy is built in that, and stability comes from the truth of God's promise. But the question is, are we thankful and grateful, and is our joy being stirred by not only our own sanctification process, but also that process happening in others? Of all the things in the world that there are to be bummed out about, and friends, there are many, the work of God has not stopped. He's still being faithful to every promise he's ever made. He's still working in and through his people. He's shaping us, and he's molding us, and he's making us more like Christ. And we need to have eyes to see it. We need to ask God to help us have eyes to see it in our own lives and in the lives of others. The joy set before Jesus that he went and endured the cross for, see, this is what Jesus, this is where Jesus' joy comes from. It's how he went and endured the cross. He was thinking about salvation. He was thinking about the sanctification of his people. And he was thinking about the promise of glorification. That beautiful promise that one day, yes, right now we are striving. Yes, right now we have the effects of sin battling against us. Romans 7, Galatians 5, 17. Yes, we're still dealing with the flesh right now, but there is coming a day. And our joy must be anchored in this eternal promise that the day is coming when all of that striving will cease and the fullness of all that God started in his plan of salvation will be wrought in his people, and all of the stench and the stain of sin will be gone, and we will stand perfected and glorified in the presence of God Almighty, and then it will be that way forever. Friend, Jesus was thinking about that before the cross. He let his heart and his mind go there, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. He's thinking about the fact that we would have the chance to be plucked out of death and brought into life. He was thinking about the fact that that would bring us to a place where God could work with us and he could take us on a journey of sanctification as we live. And he was thinking about the fact that the whole deal, the whole deal, the, old, the, the, the vision God has had in his heart from the beginning, us and him forever, that the cross was going to accomplish that and his joy was set in that. He had strength to endure the cross because of the joy of the anticipation of our salvation, our sanctification, and our glorification. Sin and Satan and death will lose. They have already lost, but they will lose totally and completely and be vanquished forever, and all of their effects will be gone from among us. We will have perfect fellowship and communion with one another and with the God that made us. That day is coming. And friend, those things are not changing. And so you can have joy in those things even when you're having a terrible day, even if the bills aren't paid and your body's not healthy and your relationships don't look so good right now. You can look to these eternal truths, these never-changing, stable truths, God's promises, all that he's said and proven that he will do. And we can have joy, immovable, that is our strength, and that is an outworking and outflowing of the fact that God's very Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And so not only do we reap the benefit of unshakable joy, but we exhibit to a lost and dying world that there is something different about those who have been conquered by Christ. It's joy, and it's love, and it's peace, and it's patience, it's kindness and goodness, and self-control. I need some of that one too. Help me, Jesus. Amen. May we be a joy-filled people. May we reflect to an unstable and broken world that there is strength and stability to be found in the joy that God gives. And may we now and for eternity rejoice in the same things as our Savior, for his glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Galatians 5. Thank you for showing us the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for showing us these attributes of your character and nature that you've shared with us. You made possible because of the gospel, because you made a way for us to go from dead in our sins and unable to be in relationship with you. You brought us to life and into connection with you through Christ. Thank you that Lord Jesus, you are the vine and we are the branches and apart from you, we are good for nothing but to be burned. But thank you that with you, we can produce much fruit. Lord, help us. Please help us to be joy-filled people. Help us to understand that the joy you speak of, that this is not 
just an emotion. It is not an emotional equivalent. That there, It's okay. Happiness and elation, these are all other good gifts from you. These are things that you've given us. But joy is this, it's this separate thing that we should pray for and seek for, that we should cultivate and ask for your help in cultivating. Help us, God, to water it and to tend it, to think about it. Help us, God, to not just be blown to and fro by every wind of difficulty, by each scenario and situation. God, help us to be stable. Help us to have our anchor driven deep into the rock of ages who does not move. Lord Jesus, help us to see how much we need your joy as our strength. Help us be quick to acknowledge our own weakness and inadequacy. God, may we find our identity in you so that we don't have to posture with you or anybody else. We don't have to try to act like we're tough or we have it all together. Lord, help us. Please, Lord, pour out on us. Stir in us this joy that is described in your word. Please help us, God, to rejoice and to have joy in the things that you do. Help us to set our eyes upon eternal things. Help us to notice, God, how you're being faithful to your promises. How even in the midst of a world where if we wanted to, we could set our eyes upon the darkness of the day forever. We could, we could find millions of reasons to be discouraged. Or, God, with your help, we can acknowledge that there is much brokenness. We can grieve for all of it. And yet at the very same time, acknowledge that you are working a plan of redemption, that you have not left your throne, that you are mighty and well able to answer every single effect of sin and darkness and brokenness in this world. Lord, help us to trust you and to rejoice in you. And may our joy be set in eternal things, immovable. God, may you be glorified in this. God, may we not only encourage those within the household of faith as we walk in true joy, but Lord, please help us to be a beacon of light to a lost and dying world. We love them, Lord. We love them. We don't fear them. We love them. And I know that our joy is part of your strategy to reach them. Help us take that seriously. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.